Have you ever stopped to think that virtually everything we use in our daily lives is based on technology? Even further, do you understand the software behind this technology? Welcome to The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. In today's program, you'll hear how software is created and implemented, why it's written the way it is, and learn from its success stories, proven best practices, and significant failures. Now, here is your host, Martin Lacey. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey, your host today, and uh, we're going to be speaking with Manoj Chalwa. Uh, We're going to be talking about building a vision for your software ideas, building a product roadmap. So we're speaking with uh, Manoj about product roadmaps, their history and evolution, and more importantly, how to build and evolve one, bring it to life and generating new business. Manoj is an entrepreneur, an executive director, consultant, trainer, mentor, coach. He coaches and mentors businesses and startups. He's developed a unique and holistic methodology for building and turning around businesses and runs courses on designing for persuasion, designing business models, Eureka innovation and product design, organized for success, and designing for happiness. He's also an incubating. He's also incubating a number of new businesses, and uh, as an acknowledged thought leader, innovator, and change agent, he's built a, and implemented some of the largest systems and products. He's acted as a virtual CEO to build one of the largest student social media companies going on, to raise eighteen million. Worked with startup numerous companies, uh, numerous startups in the voice recognition, online food ordering, and real estate and valet storage space, just to name a few. He has worked in C level roles in blue chip companies such as BT, Diago, ICE, consultancies such as Pricewaterhouse and Accenture. Uh, Manoj has had such an a incredible and rich history working with a great number of companies since the dawn of the internet uh, and you know it's a real pleasure to have Manoj on on uh, online with us today to talk about how to build a product roadmap and how to gain that insight to um, describing your product and and building something truly innovative so with that in mind please welcome Manoj how are you doing Martin, thank you very much for having me it's a pleasure to have you here. Manoj is uh, calling uh, f- us from England, so it's, it's quite a quite a time difference. And thank you very much for joining us. Okay. So, Martin, uh, real pleasure. Lovely to share my experiences with your audience, and look forward to helping them start their startups. That's excellent, and that, that's really what I want to want to try and you know uh, help help our. Uh, Listeners, the the guys out there thinking of new products or thinking of ideas and uh, trying to evolve them into something that they can, um, you know, uh, happily make a living at and uh, you know uh, get other people excited about. So, uh, in, in you know building up a product roadmap and uh, well, before we get into the actual piecemeal uh, description of of all the things that go into it, I'd like to. First, talk a little bit about your history, Manoj, and um, if you could tell us, you know, how you came about uh, getting involved, uh, how you got your start, and what your experience has been, um, you know, to date. Okay, okay. Well, 
the history is my parents immigrated to Ireland and started a retail chain here. And um, when I went to college, it was a whole start of the PC revolution. So part of that was also, I, I kind of got hooked into the whole, um, you know, basic spectrum computer. I don't know if you remember that far back. Uh, and and there was the, the whole, I don't know if you've seen that series, Halt and Catch Fire. But it was very much that kind of moment with the BBC and a lot of PC vendors and all. So the first project that I did for my dad was to set up a computer inventory control system for their shops uh, using a software called Concurrency PM. And I really right. taught myself computers. But then what happened was when I went into college, I started inviting a lot of speakers who were at the leading edge of startups, companies like Apricot Computers, uh, professors like C.R. Hoare, who had invented Occam, the first parallel language. And it, it was, that's when I got my uh, addiction to, to tech. And uh, how did that evolve? Did you get, get into... Well, well, um, uh, well what, 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 what happened was, because I was self-taught, after I finished Trinity, I went to train as an accountant with a company called ICI. But okay. because I was quite computer literate, I started automating my spreadsheets with Lotus 1, 2, 3, building large financial models with System W. And at that time, ICI had implemented SAP. So, I, I, you know, like you can imagine, there weren't that many computer literate accountants. Uh, right. So that yeah. kind of got me into the whole space, but I started to using, do you remember things like your AOL and CompuServe and bulletin boards? So yes. in the evenings, I used to do dial-up into bulletin boards and so on. Um, and I also used to support my dad by doing dial-up from the UK to Ireland using, you know, these cross-emulators and so on. So it was very much pre-internet, but you know, the migration from standalone computers to the whole networking era starting. And then when I ended up working for, for BT, so my sequences, I went from there to Diageo where I did acquisitions. Again, did a lot of automation. Then Pricewaterhouse hired me to do a lot of financial modeling, very big models, you know, but we're talking billions of numbers to model all the oil fields for for. British Gas, or to set up SAP for General Electric in Hungary. So that kind of got me into the staff. You, you, large companies were starting to use email and so on. So that was, your problem, what, that was your problem domain, really, is trying to automate the, this, um, this massive amount of data? Yeah. You see, the thing is, when, when I became process automation, in any business, what you really try to do is to reproduce and standardize processes. And computers right. allow you to store data, compu you know, automate the whole process. But it wasn't easy. I mean, let me put it to you this way. When SAP rolled out, the manual would say something like, this section is yet to be documented. Right? Yes, yes. You had the yes. same thing when you did. So, you know, like, like products were very raw in those days. Yeah. Um, so so it, it needed a certain amount of drive to being able to systemize it so you could train and teach other people. 
Yes. Right? Yeah, I, I remember one of the so, first products I, I had used it, that uh, first he showed a pie chart. And instead of showing the pie chart, because, of course, they didn't have the graphics engine in place yet, it just said, imagine a pie. <laughs> <You know. laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, and but the thing is that uh, as a consequence, because of my interest and passion in it, I started to play with dial-up access myself. Right. So if you remember in CompuServe, you used to have, and they would use companies like BBN to do dial-up. And then what we started to do was people inside CompuServe and other companies started to hack IP. Because if you remember when you used to dial-up, you could only connect to one bulletin board or one app at a time. Right. And the whole thing about the internet, and people forget the part, was suddenly you only dialed up into one point, and you can then connect to anything, multiple services. So it yes, stopped being a war garden. Right? So yes. you remember CIX and all of those other things starting to spawn. So, And that is when one of the other projects I was working on, BT, was building the network costing model. Okay. Right? So, so I started to understand the way the network was costed and the power of the internet. So way back, just when, you can imagine, these are real hacks. So you had companies that were starting to become, uh, because the nature of the telephone network and innovation is, it's like a road nobody can change. So anybody either goes to the edge and does the innovation at the edge, not on the core network, because the core network you couldn't touch. Right. So if you go back to timeshare, and telcos didn't want to go down the internet space because they got paid thousands of dollars just to connect a private circuit a mile away. Right. You know, yes. Yeah. So, so, so you started to see the birth of all of these ISPs, which were creating these large modem banks at one end of the country so that you could dial in. Yep. Okay. And my aha moment was why don't we move that into the network and offload the voice call into a data call? But it took me six years of going around and talking to hundreds of people because first you had to prove that there was a market. Right. You know what I mean? Because people didn't really understand how people were using the network. The average duration, and BT's big mantra was, people only use phones for two minutes a day. Can we get it to three minutes? And they weren't looking that a dial-up session, people would be online for 45 minutes, two hours, sometimes the whole day. Yes, yes, exactly. Right? So the key point about innovation is look at customer behavior and look for problems. So, so it took you six years to, to get the, the real big buy-in for this fundamental idea, this breakthrough well, concept? Well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't just... Those things, three other situations coincided with it, right? Timing is very important. Right. It would be great to say that it, it was all me and I was a fantastic man and I convinced the world. But the truth is <laughs> that good ideas need landing gear and timing as well. So when you right. see things, I don't know if you have a satellite company called Sky there. Um, Sky no, satellite? I don't believe so. Not in, not in Canada. Okay, well... Sky and Fox and all of that. So basically, oh yeah, sorry, yes, uh, I've heard of them. Yes. Okay, so what what happened was Sky approached BT and said they needed fifteen thousand ports so they could charge 
for pay-per-view, right? They were going to roll out these satellite set-top boxes, but they needed authentication if you wanted to watch a football match or a film or pay-per-view. Right. It had to have a dial-up, okay? At the same time, BT had embarked on a... Because the approach of network companies is centralist, not edge. Right, okay, yeah. Am I making sense? So so what they wanted to do was to build a ginormous super pop. Right. And when they built it, it fell. Right? Now, my job, while I worked in finance, I had been co-opted by David Smith, I think his name was David Smith, to act as kind of a catalyst and a change agent. Okay. Okay. So sometimes you need the existing measure to fail before they will adopt it. Because when the train is going headlong, because remember, the internet was not on anybody's roadmap. Right. You know, they were thinking in different data circuits. Even if you look at their big projects to roll out video, which also failed, was video on demand. Do you remember all of those things? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I was was involved in some startups. (laughs) So, yeah, I remember. (laughs) Right? So so companies may make roadmaps. So they had a major project for telemetry for silent ringing. Right? But that never took off. And instead you see the likes of Nest taking off. Because a common protocol changes the way that system works. Okay, you know, like yes. W- when a new innovation comes, first of all, there's a lot of people looking which standard will, will form, you know. Is it going to be the steam engine or the diesel engine or the petrol engine? Right. right. Is it going to be the... And you, you will see that whether it is to do with data disks or, you know, there's a whole argument about standards. And then the market eventually adopts one. You know, the joke about the three and a half inch floppy disk was it took off because it fitted in the, in the breast pocket of, of people's shirts. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. that, so, I don't know if that's so, true or not, but it certainly works. Well, it, it, it reads a good story. But, you know, the, the, the real point I was trying to make is if you look at why, why Betamax failed and Sony uh, uh, and VHS succeeded, it was because of the duration and the recording features of VHS. I mean, right. that's another long story, right? But, but the key point is, initially, when the core network is not, able to adapt, people work around it. So you move from acoustic couplers to modems, and then eventually the infrastructure people wake up to the reality. Right. You know, think even in solar power. Solar power started with uses that required it. So you put it in satellites, you put it in lighthouses, because the existing network there was providers... There power. Yeah. You needed that remote power, but you couldn't wire it in. So yeah. there is a the way things evolve from the consumer end back into infrastructure is a story in itself. But the thing is that the regulatory framework, the way the organization is organized, you have to spend a lot of time doing shuttle diplomacy to socialize an idea. So while the idea of moving it closer to the edge. And this is the same design behind 5G and edge computing. Okay, yeah. I mean, think about it. Is it better, even when you do your warehouses, is it better to have distributed warehouses? Even the airline model is changing away from hub and spoke. That's why the A380 has failed. 
Because the original model was you go from busy airport to busy airport, have big customers, and then smaller fleets for local flights. But now the airlines have changed the model with things like the 737 to doing direct flights more frequently rather than big planes. Yes. Well, isn't that, isn't that the, 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 the bane or the, fa- the major fail in, in the airline is that the, the, they're repurposing and reusing uh, physical or structural objects, the fuselage and so forth, for purposes that it wasn't originally designed for? I mean, they're well, extending well, its well, life yeah. and utility. Yeah, but, but that also happens in generic innovation, Martin. Let, let me give you an example. When the Wright brothers built the first plane, they used the standard automobile engine. But at oh, some point, it had specialization. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Because the piston engine required for a plane has to have different compression ratios. It isn't water-cooled. It has to be lighter. So okay. what you will find... You'll even see it, for example, there's some people that might use WhatsApp. Um, I was reading about a company uh, which is allowing doctors to communicate through a private network. So you may use the generic network, but then when your needs are specialized, you move from general to specialized. Gotcha. And sometimes it goes the other way. So these are generic patterns. So once you read the patterns, it's a lot easier to innovate. It's like somebody's given you the DNA of innovation. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Well, Mano, Manoj, uh, I think we got to take uh, take a short break here, um, and then we'll come right back and continue on with the um, the, the evolution or how, where the product vision comes from, and how how our listeners can actually wrap their minds around their own ideas and try and create that vision and, and, and communicate it to their own uh, uh, folks and people they work with. So thanks very much, Manoj. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. 
The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Hi, and welcome back to The Art of Software. Today we're talking with Manoj Chalwa, and he's a a product visionary. He's been around the block uh, with a huge amount of influence in large companies, creating product product roadmaps and creating uh, uh, real wealth for organizations out of pure concepts. So uh, please welcome back Manoj, uh, and we'll just jump right back in how we create a product vision and how you articulate those ideas. So Manoj, please continue on. Okay, so if, if, we, if we can take a point, when you assemble your team, it really has to start with the vision about how the world will be different, how the world will be better. Yes. All right, so it may be a process within a company, or it may be how you order a taxi. Right Now, either the product is disruptive or evolutionary, but irrespective of that, the leader has to impart a vision and explain it in enough granularity that people themselves understand it. Otherwise, you end up micromanaging the team. Right. All right? And, and the, the, the real issue tends to be that if, if the team get it, you have succeeded. The measure of a good government is that... Even if, if you decapitate the, the head off, the company will carry on. If yes. the leader has done his job to pass it on to the team. So the DNA spreads broader. You know, th- then it's like your body cell. It knows the commands to self-replicate. Yes. So, so when I typically started projects, what I, you see, when I first started building systems in ICI, they were great. But then when they needed it changed and I was in price waters, it called me back. Initially, it's great for your ego. Then I realized that that isn't what I wanted. And the real product is that you're building a team that carries on to deliver. Yes. And, how and that's the measure that of whether like- Steve Jobs has succeeded. You know, are they still making iPhones or did it stop when he stopped? Yes, yeah. Right? So usually what you'll do is first time, you'll show the team. Next time, you'll coach the team. The third time, the team does it itself. So... That's where also your product roadmap fits. So if you've got an iteration, 
So the vision tells you the long term. The roadmap allows you to achieve it in bite steps. And you use those to build the knowledge, the confidence, and, and the vision with the team. And how do, you, how do you assemble your team around your vision? I mean, in a chicken and egg situation, what comes first? Your, your team or the vision? Or do you do bring people or people that are part of your larger group that, that can see the vision and make them part of the team? Or how, how do you? Well, 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 I think it can vary. Sometimes the people with the shared vision find you. But even if you have people that didn't get the vision, what you have to do is you have to make it real. So one of the ways that we did was we used storyboard. So when you're okay. building it, you visualize and you play act and you role play what happens in the system or with the product in use. And that right. you can do with paper or whatever. And it's at that point that they can articulate the question, what if this happens, what if that happens? Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. And then yeah, I guess through that, that whole process, you get everybody not only buying into the vision, but also you know taking it apart, finding the flaws, or finding the, the real nuggets that maybe should be polished. Or, you know, um, yeah. If it works for films and you build a storyboard, it works for any other product too. So I started building storyboards back in the 1990s, right? You know, now there's a lot to talk of storyboarding and personas and Bibles and characters, right? And it doesn't matter, but you have to visualize. And that way it also tells you all the players and stakeholders, who's going to repair the product, who's going to maintain it, who's going to deploy it, who's going to train the people. So you can also build all those other roles out of it. Okay, and if the product you're building is the factory that will provide the service, that too gets sorted out in the process. Okay. Because very often when you're building software, the software is in effect an automation factory. And what you're doing is you're creating higher and higher value as data moves across that value chain. Right. Am I making sense? So you might start, you know, we all understand the concept of data to information to presentation there. But each time somebody adds data, it becomes more valuable, whether that's a project plan, whether that's a, a, a business plan, whether it's collecting data for an immigration form, right? And if that yeah. is coming from multiple systems, that's the same as making a factory. Am I making sense? And the factory is assembling the product, and the product allows you to make a decision or, you know, whether it's somebody's allowed in the country or whether somebody right. get a pay rise. Or, uh, okay, yeah, now, now, now I'm following you. It took me a moment, but I, get, I, get, I got you. Okay. And, you know, that's why I talked about the concept of the product that does the thing that does the thing. Yes. So when you start with the benefits, advantages, features, you move away. Let me give you an example, all right? We were building this enormous DHS, which was the first IP app that I mentioned to you previously. Um, and one of the teams said, what if we just pressed a button and the person jumped across? And I said to them, well, is it cheaper? How long will it take for you to code it versus how many times will people use it versus just pressing the back button and going back down? Right? Yeah. So, yeah. The team starts to learn to make the decision. It's like in Southwest Airlines. 
if its role model is to be the low-cost airline, the product manager knows not to serve Caesar salad and caviar because it doesn't fit in with the low-cost airline. You don't need every decision to go to the CEO because the vision has explained it. And the benefits, advantages, features gives you the dialogue with which to have a, a discussion about it. So rather than arguing so, about which feature is better. Right. So your vision has to include that benefit advantages and features that uh, the whole conversation has to be well, well articulated. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it starts to unravel. But to go back to when the team goes, one of the key things is for the team to own it, they have to provide the DNA. The leader only provides one third of the DNA. The team provides the next third, and whoever they negotiate and bring on board provide the other one-third, whether it is customers or whatever. Then everybody has a fingerprint, but it's not designed by committee. Okay. So it's a, instead of like design by committee, you're espousing more of an evolution by, uh, by talent, uh, acquisition of talent. Yeah, and one of the things is that when you do your vision, the vision isn't set in stone, right? It is a generic direction. It's like Christopher Columbus saying, I'm going west. The fact that you discover America is a byproduct of the vision that started with, (laughs) I'm trying to find a new land or a better way. Yes. So sometimes visions by their definition never get achieved. Right. Okay, because the world changes in between. There's a trade-off between, you know, like I said, the internet wasn't coming. And if you were adamant about your vision, I mean, this is what sometimes happens in corporates. They they get adamant about the vision when the world has changed. You know, the the big story about uh, HP inventing the micro drive and games companies came and said, we'd like to use it. And they said, no, you're not our target audience. Right? <laughs> so one of the things is that when you put your product out there, look at how the market takes to it and how they use it. Yes. And the more open the product, you know, like we said about the telephone, when, when Alexander Graham Bell was asked what he thought they'd use the phone for, they said to pipe music. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? He could never have visualized all the different ways the phone would get used. Yes, exactly. So his vision was was uh, communication, really. He just didn't uh, yes, understand yes, the, the depth the of which that, that could be. And, and, and then it rolls out. And usually what happens is in between, every product has side effects, which might make it more expensive or more polluting. And so every incremental innovation is usually taking away the side effects or the bad features of the previous version. You know, the car makes more pollution, so let's put a catalytic converter, or it's too noisy, or whatever, or the battery life. So the first version is never perfect. You know, Rob Glazer, when I went to interview him, the founder of Real Networks, used to say, the first product should be good enough to criticize, because that tells you the customer cares. Absolutely. Gives you an opportunity to refine it and actually build something special. Right? So if you look at the successful products whether it's the VW Golf or the iPhone or, or even the Note, you get version 2, 3, 4. But usually there are a mixture of competitive response and a, and a 
an attempt to take away the disadvantages of the previous version, either making it easier or simpler or cheaper or whatever. Yeah, and innovation on top of innovation. I think that that that's a you know, in term, terms of like vehicles and large scale uh, ideas, even in software, you know, it, it's it's not just the original idea. Well, it is the original idea, but it's how it's evolved and how you extend it, because that becomes yeah. the unique proposition. Absolutely. So what you may do is. If you are actually implementing what you think will be the third or fourth iteration, you've actually failed. So while you may be trying to launch a moonshot and planning where the moon is, you can't always tell past the 10th or 15th mission where it will go. Right? Nobody's that much of a thing because the very fact that it went into the market changes the market. You may also be chasing different customers. Absolutely. And your playing okay. field is not like a chess game where you know all the players and all the moves. I mean, this is something that evolves in new players and new things come about all the time. So how, how you, you can't anticipate something that hasn't been created. Yeah, but the point is the vision gives people a goal to aim for. It gives them purpose. It gives right. them some degree of certainty. But, you know, so usually there is a mixture between evolution and a roadmap. So if a roadmap is set too much in stone, it can't respond to the market and it doesn't build on the team's talent. Right. So, so when, so when you, you know, if, if you... Sorry, no, go ahead, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 please go ahead. Well, I was just going to uh, ask, you know, when you've got that idea and and you're pitching it... Um, how do you how do you make sure you're pitching it to the right group? Like in order to build that vision and build that consensus, do you do you limit who you talk to, or how do you know no, the right ones? No, 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 no. Look, you, the trick is it's like you're in a room full of doors. You knock on all of them, and the one that's open, you walk through. Oh, okay. And I'll, I'll 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 give you a little story which which will amplify it. Okay. We were setting up uh, one of the world's first uh, voice apps back in the 1990s called Simply Tell. All right? So we assembled a, a team of people, and they were all very good corporate leaders. You know, my, my head and friend had built the team up, and they knew their stuff. Okay? Yeah. And we put the vision forward, and we went to the people, because basically the idea was that you could, um, um, instead of dialing a number or whatever, do you remember the days where everything would have a, a phone number and you'd respond? This was back in the 80s and 90s. So you, you had all this uh, promotion on the TV, dial XYZ and order your insurance or your, your, yeah. your infomercial or whatever, right? So yeah. we said... With voice technology, you pick up the phone, dial a four-digit number, and then you could just say, make me happy or insurance, and it would take you there. It would be voice prompted. Okay. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah. So, so, so they said, go and talk to the companies to prove that there's a market. So we were building this generic model, and we were going to work with the radio and the TV companies to build a service. Right. When we went to the utilities and all, they said... Hey, this actually solves a problem. Forget about that. Give it to us. I went back to my team, and the team said, oh, no, we have to stick to our vision. 
And the customer is knocking on your door and willing to take the money. <laughs> the market is telling you something. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do, Manoj? Well, we didn't did go further with them? the project, did we? Because this is where, where the team falls apart sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Right? And, and one of the key lessons is an entrepreneur's key drive is he's not afraid to fail. Absolutely. I mean, you know that yourself because the learning is through the failure. And very yeah. often that helps the market evolve. Yes. Apple wouldn't uh, have built the tablet or the phone if it hadn't failed with the Newton. Yeah, well, I, you know, every product, and uh, all honestly, I think every product starts from a failure. I mean, you can't, mm-hmm. you don't start off running, you start off tripping. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think so, you know, you know that, that's just a, I mean, software is huge that way. I mean, you get lucky, but really, the the first release, even the ones that are released, aren't even called full full versions. They're called betas, right? Trial yeah, yeah. Yeah, releases. And, and <laughs> absolutely. You know, people forget that Google's original project name was Backrub. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. but you see, the key issue was, to go back to the issue, the computer science project uh, professor from Stanford who introduced them to their first investor who had sold his company to Jeff Bezos. So sometimes it's a matter of luck and being in the right place. Yes. You know, if they'd been in Yale or Harvard, who would the introduction have been? Yeah, so so there is a bit of serendipity of how you end up somewhere. Absolutely. Somebody knocks on the door and opens. So sometimes it's a case of just trying hard enough. And then sometimes we give up because we don't have the, the stamina. And I think we hear someone knocking at the door right now, Manoj. I think we got to take a little break, but we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. 
The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Hi, you're listening to The Art of Software. We're talking with Manoj Chalwa. He is an entrepreneur and a, a visionary, and he's helping us to uh, you know, articulate how you go about creating a product, a product vision, and how you build the teams and uh, you know, understand that whole process. So we were uh, before our break. We were talking about uh, how you pitch your idea, how you build that that vision, and how also to listen to your customers. You know, if the customer says, "Well, I want it to want to use your product in a particular way," then so be it. That's a new vision, a new outlet for your product. So Manoj, why don't you continue on and tell us about you know the. Um, the ideas of, of the product vision and whether you want to be on the leading edge or the bleeding edge, whether you're uh, replicating or innovating, uh, you know, how, what, what area of okay, technology? All right. so, 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 so let's talk, first of all, about what large companies are good at. Yes. And also okay. what large companies aren't good at, okay? So let, let me give you a little example, okay? Um, Large companies are structured to have salespeople and customer service people listen to the customer. And there's a whole way that it cascades up into the product manager and says, you need to make it cheaper, lighter. And the mantra is always understood is, if you ask the customer, they'll always tell you, I want it cheaper, better, faster. So if it's an existing customer, a hard disk, a car, a plane, they want everything they've got with the current version, but they want it cheaper, better, faster. So when I was developing EHR solutions for Accenture and BT, that was the key requirement. Give them whatever they've got, because they don't want to lose anything. Okay? Yeah. Now, the, 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 the downside with that is that, how can I put it? So the companies are very efficient at giving them what they want. Okay, but when the market has changed, when the product has changed, because products evolve from bespoke to solution to product to commodity. Right. Okay. 
You know, if, if you buy an app for slow motion, initially it's novel. Okay, but when Apple see everybody's got it, they build it into the core platform and your business as a standalone has gone out. And this is the constant battle that Microsoft have had, Mac have had, that you take a product and if somebody develops something initial and then it's sucked back into the, into what the large company does. Okay, and large companies have lots of listening posts where they're looking for it. You know, think about how, how the pickup truck was evolved. Okay, so the, the, the pickup originally started as being something hardy for the, the farmhand. Then it became a little bit more fashionable and more comfortable with the cab. But what they started to do also was to look at how people were, were um, what's the word, pimping their trucks. Oh, yes. Does yes. that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, you had people pimping the big trucks and so on. So this is where if you're listening and looking at how people are pimping their product, it's giving you a lead. How are people really using my phone network? How are people really using my database? Okay? Or, or whatever. But sometimes right. the problem, from a disruptor point of view, can't be accommodated within the existing airframe. Like we talked about the 737. Remember, Mark? Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier. So then you have to be prepared to start from scratch. Let me give you an example, all right? Um, if you look at medicines, every medicine is packed in one of these shrink wrap containers. Yes? Yep. Okay. Now, think about the wastage that you have from all of that wrapping. Oh, I know. It's immense. It's crazy. Okay. Okay. Now, I can give you a system, right, that will get rid of it. How do you build it? It kind of works like a, a... the fountain idea for Coca-Cola. Instead of opening a bottle for each, you have a fountain. So you take a big tub, you you build an electronic button, and it will automatically dispense in a container each of the medicines. Okay? Simple idea I've come up with. The problem is going to be, if I go to a pharmaceutical company, they've invested millions in their production line to make these blister packs. Yes. And it's part of the marketing. Right. Well, it's part of the marketing. And also the whole nature of productization is that they create what is called a meter dose. The most right. effect, medicines actually work based on your weight. Wherever you are, the stronger the dosage you need for a lot of them. I mean, don't get me wrong and don't sue me for this, but, you know, <laughs> well, it's it, kind it, of like alcohol. Not you know. medical efficacy, so by and large, you're correct. <laughs> right, right. So, so the point I'm trying to make is this. So if you want to solve the problem, right, sometimes you can't just bolt on and incrementally innovate. You have to take the risk of starting something new. Right. But the trouble is, if you are in a large company and somebody comes up with something new, the existing power structures, budget holders, COOs, are not going to give away their their prestige, their corner office, to this web start, app start, yeah. right? So and, and the way that we as well have, is not only not giving that up, you're carrying on a whole bunch of things from previous iterations that you don't know if anybody uses, but no one's willing to say it's no longer viable or no longer right? practical. So, 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 so sometimes, you know, you have to make the jump from one technology to another from one platform. You know, Microsoft 
successfully navigated the internet. It could have gone down. But yes. there's a fine line. Games manufacturers have this fine line of, hey, we've got a new graphics engine, but what do I do with my old game? So do I maintain backward compatibility or do I start from scratch? Right. And this is where, you know, do I go for Big Bang or, or, or you know, I mean, look at how much people just complain when you take away the, the, the earphone because they've invested on these expensive headphones and suddenly it doesn't work because it's gone Bluetooth, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. So, the, so the, there is this fine line that if the need is big enough, you can re-engineer the business model. But it's usually better done as a disruptor through a VC body, unless the company is prepared to do a standalone venture. Right. Or a joint kind of venture. Thing. Right. And that's where. Because the existing lab structures and all, companies build a lot of labs, but very rarely do those labs, even if they've invented, Kodak invented the phone, uh, the the digital camera. But because its existing revenue line was made out of film, right? So even though it was full of clever people who could see the future, they didn't know how to change it. Because the new platform required different skills in how you design the camera, how you hold it. So they tried to make it easier by spending a billion pounds developing the APS. Do you remember the APS, the cartridge that you didn't need to roll up the film and all? Right? Uh, (laughs) No, that doesn't ring a bell to me, no. Okay, well, if you have a look at it, you'll find it interesting. So they tried to make... So, you know... Every iteration from the brownie to the APS was about making film loading easier, making the films better. Okay. Right? You know, it's that S-curve that that Clayton Christensen and everybody talks about. And what every company wants to do is to get the next S-curve started before the first one dips. Yes. But, But that also requires a shift. You see, democracy has that through the election process. But you don't have companies with two warring fractions. You know, when they do, you can have war in those companies. Yeah. Okay. So that's why sometimes the disruption is done with somebody who has no legacy. It's not that large companies aren't smart enough. I mean, look at how many projects has Microsoft failed in, right? It tried to get into the MP3. It didn't have a business model. Failed. It tried to get into e-books. Failed. Tried to get into mobile phones, it hasn't succeeded, <laughs> right? It wasn't because it didn't have clever people, for God's sake. So would that, you know, in a spin, would that be kind of the motivation for for uh, acquisitions then? Because you've got these small companies, these innovators that that are focused on a on a on a disruptive pattern, and rather than trying to you know create that idea internally, it's it's better to grab the team that that has that. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and 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 you see Facebook doing it with WhatsApp. Yeah. Right. You, and and but even the skill, like Cisco, is successful because it knows how to integrate acquisitions. Right? Right. Sky went out and bought, what was it, uh, MySpace, and look how they failed disastrously with it. Right? Because 50% of acquisitions, one party smothers. Look, we had the same yes. issue when, when BT and Accenture created ePeopleServe. Right? We were moving towards a product vision. Then you had the dot-com crash. 
Accenture buys it, and it reverts to form to do consultancy. I hope yeah. you don't sue me for it, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. Sad. Because yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, you go back to your old habits. Yeah, yeah. So okay. how, how do you? In the meantime, you, you know, so if you spin off, or you're lucky enough to have uh, you know a small footprint to begin with, and you're you're an innovator and you're building it up, and you've got this product team and you've got your vision, um, how do you approach price? How do you figure out you know what the market will? bear or, or how do you start off with a price that's reasonable? Price of the product or price for the acquisition? Price of your product. I mean, the acquisition perhaps would come later as a larger company would sees how well you do. But, uh, you know, that, you know, first of all, you have to, you know, have, have success. Look, every product manager, every sales manager will tell you that you sell it for, if you reduce the price, the market will go up. The, the big trade-off that everybody has, is, and, you know, Motorola were the master of it. Look what happened to them. But they were the master. They were the people that invented TQM and, you know, every year bringing the price down by 10%. The big challenge is if you have major drops in prices, will the volume respond quickly enough? Because your shareholders don't want to find next year you sold the same amount and your revenue fell by 10%. So as much as you can talk about vanity and all, right, there is yes. a trade-off that, that if your product is in a declining process, your company is. So then you compensate in that market through acquisitions. That's what we did in Diageo. But, but to go back to the issue, the market is always about what the market will bear. And it's about test and trial and picking the right segment, right? I mean, have Apple got the right segment to charge $1,000 for a phone? Yes or no? Uh, well, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Individually, but at an aggregate level. Yes, they, they seem to have a, a huge, huge audience. Right? No, but the point is, so long as the differentiation of the price exists in the mind of the customer, because yes. value is in the eye of the beholder, that's the key point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Or you have a different revenue model. I mean, remember, Google did not invent the search engine. They may have invented the algorithm, right? I remember when I worked in BT, I'd be paying twenty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 to put a search engine on a box, okay, to do internal search for contracts and stuff like that. Yes. Now, those companies never evolved their model and said, hey, we can make more by advertising and giving our search for free. <laughs> hmm? I mean, yes. why don't Google sit down and charge everybody $1 a year to use a search engine? Because it's far more profitable to give it away for free with advertising. Right? Oh. So figuring out the revenue model is part of figuring out the product and your business model. You can't separate it. Product isn't just about features and benefits. It's also the, the revenue model. You know, do I do advertising and do free-to-air or do I charge you pay-per-view like Apple? Right. Okay, I got it. So, in a way, then as well, you you would you know set your price points based on you know if you will feature sets and create feature sets uh, that are target audience based, so that the price points for the target audience for the feature set have have a sweet spot. 
No, the first starting point is actually to figure out who will pay. The best example is private schools. Kids don't pay for it. The parents do. Okay. Hello? Right? So why would a parent pay for you to go to Harvard and have a good time? <laughs> right? Is it the status, oh, my son is in Harvard? Is yes. it the fact that, that they're going to mix with the right people? Right? And that marketing is, is, is a very smooth thing. And it's been built over generations. That brand value that exists in Harvard or MIT or Stanford, uh, if you did a valuation, how would it compare to Coca-Cola? Right? But yes. the first thing is they figured out who's prepared to pay. Government is the best example of it, right? I don't think you and I would personally pay $100 million for a fighter plane, but through the government and the mechanism, the defense companies make billions out of it, right? right. So you figure out a revenue model, you figure out a, a thing. So, you know, whether it's... Sometimes this is what happens. Somebody says... You know, Mr. Donald Trump, you know, I'm a construction company. We really need a, a wall between <laughs> Mexico. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Yes. So, so you create a mechanism if you create the need. Yes. Okay. So, well, Manoj, so you know, if, if, I, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I've gotten an awful lot out of this. I, this has been an exciting conversation. I really want to thank you so much for helping us uh, wrap our minds around you know, how the process of creating a, a, a product vision is, uh, is evolved and how you all the important parts and pieces that need to be pulled together to articulate it and bring it forward and actually create that product. Um, so sorry that we don't have enough time. Hopefully we'll be able to continue on this conversation and have another, another show where we explore, uh, in more detail. Um, thank you very much, Manoj. I appreciate you coming on the show today. My pleasure, Martin. You have a great day. We'll talk to you very soon. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. You've been listening to Martin Lacey and Manoj Chawa uh, on the art of software, learning about building a business vision around your product ideas and your software concepts, the roadmap to success. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to The Art of Software. Be sure to join your host, Martin Lacey, again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.